wouldn't mind taking the Word of God with me this morning and turning once again to the book of Philippians. Well, we have finished, thankfully, um, the introduction to the book of Philippians, which is verses 1 through 11. And now we enter into a new section, um, which will be verses 12 through 26 of Philippians chapter 1. So that will make up our reading this morning. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened, which happened unto me, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And our reading there this morning, knowing that God will bless his word, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we think about how people in the mission fields just have one little chapter of your word and they feel like it's gold and yet Lord we have the whole book Lord this morning we thank thee for what Paul has said inspired by your spirit and Father we pray that you would do a deep heart work in every one of us for the glory of your son in Jesus name we pray Amen well as I mentioned this morning we have finished with the introduction to the book of Philippians, which is verses 1 through 11. And we mentioned that the introduction was made up of three parts, the salutation, verses 1 through 2. And then there was Paul's thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8, and then his prayer in verses 9 through 11. 
Now the next section really gets into the body of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And if we were to try to um, make some kind of outline for the book of Philippians, which I won't give you now, we would section off the next part of chapter 1 with verses 12 through 26 making up this next section. And really the next section could be entitled, Paul reassures the Philippians of his joyful condition. Paul reassures the Philippians of his joyful condition. Now we mentioned in earlier studies that there are really three main purposes or causes um, why Paul took up his pen, or excuse me, actually we think perhaps Timotheus was the one who would have penned this letter, if you remember from the introduction, um, to write this letter. And those three were this. First, to express gratitude for the, to the Philippians. You remember the Philippians sent Paul a gift by way of Epaphroditus who traveled from Philippi all the way to Rome. And Paul is writing this letter to say, thank you so much for caring for me when I was in prison and sending me a gift, even Epaphroditus himself. And the second reason was he wrote to exhort the Philippians. You remember we, note, we mentioned that the Philippians, Philippian, Philippian church, excuse me, was dealing with disunity. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. They are also facing error. We see this in Philippians chapter 3. Among other issues, Paul was writing, Listen, brethren, have unity, have humility, have love for one another, as Christ has had humility and love and coming down in chapter 2 in humiliation to save the souls of men. In chapter 3, he talks about wariness to the enemies of the cross. But the third reason he wrote was to comfort the Philippians. He made the point that the Philippians were very worried about the condition of their beloved Paul in Rome. Well, here's the great Apostle Paul, and now he's in prison. And they were very worried about this. And they wanted to know, how is Paul? How's he doing? What's happened to him? And so Paul writes to comfort the Philippians. And verses 12 through 26 are a, just a section full of comforts for the Philippians, reassuring them, listen, although I'm dealing with imprisonment, although I'm going through deep trial and affliction, I want you to know that I am rejoicing. I want you to know, Philippians, although my outward man may perish, my inward man is renewed with joy. I'm rejoicing in prison. And so Paul really gives four different parts, as I've looked through this, of his reassurance to the Philippians of his joyful condition. In verses 12 through 14, he basically says this, When I am afflicted, I rejoice because the gospel is advanced. In verses 15 through 18, he basically says, When I am opposed, I rejoice because Christ is preached. In verses 19 through 21, he says, When I am facing death, I rejoice because Christ is magnified. In verses 22 through 26, When I am facing life in the flesh, I rejoice because the church is benefited. 
And that's really the outline of this section. Four parts to Paul's reassurance to the Philippian church of his joyful condition in the midst of difficulty and in trial. And really you can see this in verse 18 of chapter 1 where Paul says, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For all these things I rejoice and I will rejoice. I will continue rejoicing. Because as we mentioned, Paul's ultimate joy was not in his situation, was not in the condition of his body, was not in his food, was not in his comforts, but was in the things of Christ. And ultimately, Christ himself. His eyes were fixed on Christ. And because Paul's eyes were fixed on Christ, he viewed everything through the lens of God's revelation and through the lens of Christ. And so where one person would look at Paul's affliction in his trial and say, wow, what a tragedy. When Paul put on the glasses of God's word and his eyes saw through the lens of Christ, he said, oh, I rejoice. He saw everything in a completely different light. Now, my eyes aren't very good, and I have to wear glasses or I can't see things. But I want you to know that the eyes of man's heart are far worse than my physical eyes. And if we don't put on the lens, the glasses of God's Word and view things through Christ, we won't have joy. Paul saw everything in the light of Christ. And Paul's joy in Christ sweetened all of the bitterness of his trials so that he was able to say in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always. And again I say rejoice. In every situation. Why? Because I rejoice in the Lord. And as we mentioned this morning, I see everything interpreted through Him. And I have reason to rejoice. Well, this morning, I want us to consider verses 12 through 14, where the Apostle Paul writes of his joy in the advance of the gospel. And we noted that you could call this section, When I am afflicted, I rejoice because the gospel is advanced. So in the first place in our texts, verses 12 through 14, our passage, excuse me, we see Paul's afflictions. Paul's afflictions. Let's look at verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul is speaking about the things which happened unto me. The things that were worrying the Philippians is what he's talking about. The things that happened unto me. Now, what exactly is he referring to? He's referring to his imprisonment in Rome. Those, that, excuse me, that's the thing and all that led up to it and all he's experiencing there are the things that have happened unto Paul. Now, in the last two chapters of the book of Acts, we find recorded for us Paul's imprisonment and the way he got to Rome and was imprisoned. So in chapter 27, we have the recounting of his shipwreck at Malta. And then he gets back onto a ship and 
He travels with other prisoners to Rome and then he's given over to the captain of the guard awaiting his trial before the Roman tribunal. In Acts 28 and verse 16, the Bible says, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So while the rest of the prisoners went to a certain place, Paul was allowed to go with a soldier to dwell by himself in what we understand to be a hired house. So Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Now the captain of this guard would have been the captain of what's known as the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard was an elite force whose assignment was to protect the Roman Empire and specifically the Roman emperor himself. He was, this was the elite of the elite of the guard in Rome. Um, they were very, very powerful. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But they, they were the ones who were watching over the Apostle Paul. There would have been about 9,000 of them. So not all of them, of course, regarding Paul, but the soldier that took him and watched over him in this house would have been part of the Praetorian Guard. Under house arrest, Paul did have some freedom. So he was able to write letters like the book of Philippians. He was able to have visitors. There's actually recounting in the end of Acts chapter 28 that the Apostle Paul preached from prison and many came to hear him and many hear, came to hear the gospel. So he was given many privileges. But the difficult part of his imprisonment was this. The Apostle Paul was chained. Now he mentions his chains in chapter 1 verse 7. He says, my bonds, which is the word for chains. In verse 13, he says that my bonds in Christ. And in verse 14, he talks about his bonds. And then in verse 16, again, he says, my bonds. Paul was in chains. Now, this chain was probably about 18 inches in length. And it was chained to one of the Praetorian Guard. 24 hours a day, according to what they would do, 24 hours a day, the Apostle Paul was chained to a guard. That means he did not do anything without being chained to this guard. He didn't sleep. He didn't eat. He couldn't pray. Anything without being chained to this guard. So you can imagine a man of God. Can you imagine the solitude he wants to pray, to get alone with God? He couldn't. He couldn't. Every day chained. Things that he would have to do that he wouldn't want anybody near. He would have to do chained to a soldier. And because of this chain, Paul wasn't able to go all around Rome and preach the gospel. Paul wasn't able to travel like he used to and preach the gospel with power. He was held captive in this house, chained to a soldier. No privacy at all. Now, no doubt the Philippians struggled over this aspect more than anything. Thinking, well, what's going to happen to the gospel? I mean, here's Paul and he's chained. He can't do anything unless these soldiers let him. What's going to happen to the gospel? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. He's preached all over. Souls have come to Christ by the thousands, by the multitudes. Churches have been planted. 
He's the greatest theologian, the greatest writer in the church. No, he's chained. And no doubt they, they said, God, what, what are you doing? I don't understand. I don't understand this. And perhaps even Paul himself struggled with temptation to be seriously discouraged. Here I am chained. I can't preach like I won't have such a burden to evangelize the lost. Such a burden to preach the gospel all over. And I'm chained. I can't do anything. And here he was, the great apostle Paul, chained to a soldier. Effectively shut up with the gospel. Was this bad news for the gospel? Situations have happened in your life. Situations happen in church life. And when we look at it, we go, I don't see how in any way, shape, or form this can be good for the cause of Christ. I mean, it just looks like the gospel's failing. It just looks like the men of God, like Paul, they're chained. I don't understand. Well, there are other people in history who have been through situations like this. I think of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians. And he served very alone. And he died at age 29. He's under constant illness. Anybody looking at David Brainerd would say, God, why would you take this man off of the face of this earth at only 29 what about the gospel? Susanna Spurgeon was the wife of C.H. Spurgeon. And Susanna was an invalid for much of her life. She was very, very ill, and she was bedridden for much of it. And I imagine she would have felt, what a burden I am to my husband. I can't do anything for him. In fact, he has to wait on me hand and foot. And he's, he's the greatest preacher in England, maybe the world. Here I am, in my bed, sick. What a waste. Maybe she thought, is this bad news for the gospel? I think of John Bunyan. John Bunyan, that great English preacher, he spent 12 years in Bedford Jail, about 50 miles northwest of London, in Bedford, England. He was separated from his wife and four of his children, one of them named Mary, who was blind. John Bunyan, you're in prison. Is this bad news for the gospel? This question comes to us all the time because afflictions are always present. But I want us to see something else. Second, not only Paul's afflictions, but I want you to see the gospel's advance. Look at me again at verse 12. Paul says this, I would you should understand. In our vernacular, it would be this. I want you to get this. You've got to get this, Philippians. You've got to understand this. The things that happened to me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Now that little word rather is a great word in this text. Rather. Now, the idea here of the word rather is it communicates that your perspective is actually the complete inverse of reality. You think the gospel's failed, 
but it's rather been furthered. And how many times, how many times, if we're honest, do we say, well, the reality is, the facts are, this is just terrible. And in our mind and heart we go, well, I know the Bible, I know the Word of God says, it's all going to be, you know, and I understand God's sovereign over all of it, I get that, but in our hearts we feel like the reality is. And Paul says, no, the reality is, God's Word is right. The reality is, it's not a tragedy. The reality is, Christ's gospel will triumph. He will save all for whom he died. The gospel will be furthered. Rather, under the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul says the gospel was furthered. Further, the Greek word translated furtherance here is actually, interestingly enough, the exact opposite of the Greek term translated hindrance. In Galatians 5.7, you did run well, who did hinder you? So Paul is saying, far from it being hindered, it was furthered. It was let loose. It was advanced. It's complete opposite of what you think. And he actually gives specific details in verses 13 and 14. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And here he really gives the, um, an illustration of the advancement of the gospel in two ways. First, the evangelizing of the heathen or the Romans. And then second, the emboldening of the brethren. Both of these things were a result of his imprisonment. And Paul is recounting this to the Philippians. So let's first look at the evangelizing of the Romans in verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. <clears throat> so what has become manifest to the Romans is his bonds in Christ. So he is in chains. But who knows if he's in chains because of a political insurrection, if he's a criminal. Why is he in chains? Paul says it has been made known that my bonds are in Christ. That my bonds are for the sake of Christ. Which means that he has explained the gospel. He has been able to evangelize the Romans. Now, <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit um, tedious, but I can't faithfully um, preach through verses 13 and 14 unless I talk about this. So try to stay with me for a minute here. In the authorized version, we have this word, the palace, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Now, the Greek word translated palace is the word praetorian. You remember I talked about the praetorian guard earlier, um, for the Praetorian Guard that would have watched over Paul. Now, this word palace here, as the translators have it, would be speaking of the imperial palace, the palace where the emperor would be. But many commentators, many of them, um, feel that this really is in reference not to the palace, but to the Praetorian Guard, that Paul's bonds were made manifest not in the imperial palace, but among the guards. Okay, so the guard that was with Paul. Now, there was a guard that would be changed every four hours. So many feel that it was the guard that's being referred to here that would be changed every four hours. And I'll give you 
a couple uh, reasons here just briefly so that I'm not just throwing that out there without any um, foundation. The word um, began meaning the general's tent, the word praetorian, and, and it came over time to be understood to, to mean a governor's palace, as even used to speak of a palace in Mark 15 and verse 16. However, by the time that this would have been written, the common usage of this word praetorian was for the praetorian guard. And in fact, there is not one single instance to be found in the literature of this time where the word praetorian is referred to the imperial palace. And so because of that, uh, many, many commentators, older and new, feel that this would be in reference to the praetorian guard, and that's how I'm going to take it. Now, you could take it palace, that's fine. It is, it's not, um, the translators are just simply looking at the word praetorian and making a decision about whether it should be palace or it's referencing the guard. So I feel along with a number of commentators that it refers to the guard. This fits very well with Paul's, uh, excuse me, Luke's statement in Acts 28 of Paul being under house arrest. And as I mentioned, the praetorian guard being with him. What Paul is saying here is, my chain that's connected to each of the praetorian guard that comes and watches over me, I have explained to them, I've evangelized them Every man is come, every four hours, another guard is coming as to be chained to Paul. Can you imagine? They're hearing Paul pray. They're hearing the gospel from Paul. Now, this is, this is absolutely, absolutely amazing. Because the Praetorian guard was the most elite guard in Rome, as I said. They became so powerful over time that they were actually the ones who chose who would become the emperor. Can you believe this? Paul is chained to the most powerful elite force in Rome who actually eventually would choose the emperor and every four hours another guard has to listen to the gospel from Paul. Has to listen to how his bonds are in Christ every four hours. And over those years that he was there, how, who knows how many of the Praetorian Guard he evangelized. See, Paul says, you look at my imprisonment and you think this is destroying the gospel, but you have no idea what God is doing. No idea. And in fact, the rest of the text, verse 13 says, and in all other places, or among all others, this praetorian guard, no doubt, would have known people in the upper echelon of Roman society. And it was known throughout everywhere basically, just everywhere, that Paul was in prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. He believed that this man was the son of the living God, that he died for the sins of his people, that he rose up from the dead, and this truth spread all throughout Rome because Paul was chained to the Praetorian Guard in all other places. Now, I should say to you as well that the word places there, you notice... It's in italics. Um, the the uh, original language simply says to all the rest, but it's totally proper to put palaces there, or places, excuse me, but that's if you take the word praetorian to be palace. So I'm taking it to be the praetorian guard, so it would be among all other, all the other people, many of them in Rome that would have heard of the Apostle Paul. But the point is, is simply this. The point is, is simply this. 
Paul acted like a Trojan horse, infiltrating the very heart of Rome. Whether the gospel was to the imperial palace or to the Praetorian Guard, as I believe it is, ultimately the gospel spread everywhere because Paul's affliction and because of his imprisonment. This is absolutely amazing. Then Paul also says, not only were the Romans evangelized, but the brethren were emboldened. In verse 14 he says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Much more bold. Now they were afraid to speak the word boldly. Here was this great preacher and he's in prison. Let me tell you something. When the government starts throwing preachers into prison, we might feel a little bit more of what it is to be afraid to preach the gospel. Right now, there's more of an oppression um, by the way of society and, and it's, it's more mental, it's more through philosophy and people totally reject the gospel and think it's, think it's stupid and foolish. But when people start throwing preachers into prison, we'll feel a little bit more of what it is to be afraid to preach the gospel. The Romans ridiculed the Christians. There's actually an engraving found in the imperial palace in Rome. And there's a caricature of Christ on the cross. He was blasphemously portrayed with the head of a donkey on the cross. With a Christian bowing down in worship to him. I mean, they ridiculed the Christians. These people, the brethren in Rome, were afraid to preach the God. They had lost their boldness. They weren't bold anymore. They weren't confident to preach. They were not without fear. They were full of fear. And Paul says, through my imprisonment, they've been emboldened. You know what? When you are under affliction, think about not only what God is doing in your life, but in the life of another believer who's watching you. As you are under affliction and you evidence the grace of God by still glorifying Him, by still praising Him, by still obeying Him, what are you doing to another brother or another sister who is struggling so terribly underneath a trial? or who's about to go into a trial and they don't even know it, and by watching you, they're emboldened. They're emboldened to trust God. They're emboldened to stand for Christ. You see, Paul was a man who under suffering stood for Christ. It was because of his affliction that the gospel spread through Rome and emboldened the brethren. You know, it was when the guards saw a man in chains still glorifying, still worshiping Christ, that they said, this is the real deal. Okay? This is the real deal. This man has nothing. This man's in prison. And this man loves his Savior. And he loves his Master, although he has nothing. And the brethren saw Paul and they said, if Paul can be upheld by Christ, we can be. If Paul can stand for the gospel, we can stand for the gospel. If God can use Paul in prison, God can use us. 
How is the way you're responding to affliction affecting other believers? We have to think about that. It was emboldening the brethren. And now, really, they were without fear, which means they were fearless. They were fearless to preach the gospel. So was it bad news for the gospel? No. Let's go back to David Brainerd. Was it bad news for the gospel that David Brainerd died at 29? Well, he wrote a diary. This diary was put out along with his account of his life by Jonathan Edwards. And the account of Brainerd's life is said to have been what impacted Henry Martin to go to the mission field. It impacted Robert Murray McShane, John Wesley, David Livingston, Jim Elliott to go to the Aka Indians, and William Carey, who's known as the father of modern missions. David Brainerd could say if he was alive, but the things that have happened to me have happened rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Susanna Spurgeon, yes, she was an invalid. Yes, she was bedridden for years. But at this time, many pastors had no ability to get any of Spurgeon's books. In fact, they didn't have very books, many books at all. But from bed, she founded what was called the Book Fund, which ultimately provided thousands of pastors with Spurgeon's literature and the tools they needed to do their work. She could say with Paul, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. John Bunyan, when he came out of prison, he came out with a book, Pilgrim's Progress. The book has been translated into 200 lang- over 200 languages. Next, the Bible is perhaps the best-selling book of all time, has influenced and impacted the greatest preachers that have ever lived and is still loved and read and used. John Bunyan could say, but the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. God is sovereign. He depends on no one. And you might not be able to see it. See, they saw it. You might not be able to see it. You might not understand. It might be years down the road. I don't know. But God will bring about the triumph of His gospel through our afflictions. And I want you to see, finally, Paul's passion. Paul is rejoicing here in his affliction because the gospel is advanced. And so what this infers to us is that Paul's joy was in the advance of the gospel. His joy was not found in his comfort again. His joy was not found in his food, his clothing, friends. It was found in the advance of the gospel. He's in, he's in affliction, yes, he's in a prison. But he says, I rejoice. Why? Because the gospel has been furthered. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Paul said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessities laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul was consumed with the gospel and the advance of the gospel. Please understand, it wasn't enough for Paul that the gospel was protected. That the gospel was kept free from error. He said in, in, in Philippians, actually, chapter 2 and verse 16, he exhorts the Philippians, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. Yes, you'll find in the New Testament the exhortation to hold fast the form of sound words or to hold fast the truth that you've been given. But you're not just to hold fast the truth, you're to hold forth the truth. 
Paul wasn't only concerned with the gospel being kept safe. Oh, lock it up in a box somewhere. Keep it away from error. Keep it away from heresy. And we'll go along and we'll just continue to, to just keep it safe and teach it and just keep it within our, our small group. No, 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 no. Paul's passion was for the advance of the gospel. That's why he says, I'm rejoicing in what? The furtherance. That was Paul's passion. That's the Great Commission. Paul wanted the gospel to be spread, to be spread throughout Rome, to be spread throughout Europe, spread throughout Asia, spread throughout the world. Would you not agree that was Paul's passion? That's clearly his passion. Is that our passion? Is it our passion not merely to be separatists? It is, I am a separatist. Not merely to be fundamentalists. We are fundamentalists in the hold of the truth of the word. But to advance the gospel. To spread the gospel. To further the gospel. That's Paul's heart. May God make it our heart. May God make it more our heart. I know it is. And more my heart. That the gospel would be furthered and advanced. We need to ask ourselves, what part are we playing in advancing the gospel? Please understand, Paul, when he was in Rome... He was looking for gospel opportunities in his affliction. We might not be in Rome. We're in Orlando. And we're not in prison. We don't have a chain. How can we advance the gospel? How can we further the gospel? Thank God we're not chained. Or you might feel your chain. You might say, oh, I'm chained to my job. I'm chained to my work. Hey, Listen. If God can give a man in prison gospel opportunities there, He can give you gospel opportunities at your work. He can. He's able. But your passion has to be, and my passion, the passion of Paul, the passion of Christ, that the gospel would be advanced and to stop at nothing until it is. It, Paul, it doesn't say here necessarily they all came to Christ. It doesn't say they were all saved. Just says the gospel's advanced. What part are you playing? What part am I playing in the advance of the gospel? Perhaps say, what part am I playing in the advance of the gospel at my work? What part am I playing in the advance of the gospel in this city that God has me in? Am I content with, with knowing the gospel? We must advance the gospel. It's Paul's passion. And brother and sister, when that becomes more and more our passion and we live to that end, whenever affliction comes our way, we'll rejoice because you know what is our passion? The furtherance of the gospel. And we'll be asking, Lord, in this hospital room, where are you going to give me opportunity for the gospel? How are you going to use me for the furtherance of your gospel? Through my difficulty, how are you going to use this, use this for the furtherance of the gospel? I trust you. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But I trust you because my passion is for the furtherance of the gospel. And as long as that happens, I rejoice. And I know that it will as I am seeking for the furtherance and the advance of the gospel in my life. Is that our passion? Oh, it was Paul's. Paul's great passion is that we would hold forth the word of life, advance the gospel. 
pray, God, how may I advance the gospel? How may I advance it where I am? Let's spread the gospel far and wide. We're called to spread the seed. Let it loose. Spread it. Advance it. Publish it forth everywhere. That's the heart of New Testament Christianity. Paul says, when I'm afflicted, I rejoice because the gospel is advanced. So let's end there this morning with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise thee for thy word this morning. Oh Lord, give us a passion. Give me a passion. Lord, for the furtherance of your gospel. Lord, you know we get cold and hardened. Father, help us. Lord, give us opportunities. Give us wisdom, Lord. Lord, I praise you that if Paul could be in chains in prison and you could give him opportunities for the gospel, no doubt, Lord, you can give us opportunity. Lord, give us opportunity for the gospel. Help us to further and advance it, Lord. Lord, open doors. Lord, do it for Jesus' sake. Amen.